Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast, where you can learn everything you need to know about sustainable and ESG investing from leaders in the field. My name is Paul Ellis, and I'm your host for these programs about developments in this fast-growing industry. William Burkhardt is the CEO of the Investment Integration Project. In 2021, he published the co-authored book, 21st Century Investing, Redirecting Financial Strategies to Drive Systems Change. And in 2021, he was also our guest on the ESG Practice Playbook shortly after his book was published. And Bill is the CEO of the Investment Integration Project, which is a consulting service, an applied research firm that develops turnkey solutions to help investors manage systemic risks and opportunities in sustainable and ESG investing. Bill, how are you today? And welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, Paul. Really thrilled to be here. Yeah, I'm very glad you could join us today. I know that this new leadership role that you're taking is an extension of what you've already been doing uh, at the Investment Integration Project. Uh, Let's begin by telling our listeners what the Investment Integration Project believes are a couple of systemic risks and opportunities that investors want to focus on and how these are developing in the capital markets infrastructure. Yeah, no, I think that's a great starting point. So when TIP was started, it was really this kind of very intuitive observation that not just us, but a number of folks were making at the time, um, just seven years ago, which was just this idea that there are portfolio-related risks. We see them every day. There's a lot of great um, frameworks and efforts out there that are really identifying a lot of these environmental, social, and governance factors across industries. Um, But what we were seeing was just this kind of acknowledgement that there were these bigger systemic risks that are global in nature, that they're complex, they're highly interconnected, um, and that they were having real influence and impact on not just global prosperity, but really long-term performance for uh, long-term focused investors. And so we simply identified that, um, really built up a concept around it, um, certain basic principles and evidence about investors that were kind of going beyond a portfolio focus to really tackle some of these big systemic issues. Um, we call that system level investing creatively. Um, uh, and, and in terms of, you know, just one of those like initial frameworks, like how do you identify what a systemic issue is? We, we essentially developed a criteria and it was four different dimensions. One was that there was real global consensus that the, this is an issue. So it tries to get away from the idiosyncratic things that we mm. often see an investment decision making, right? I mean, you've you've been advising investors forever. You know, it's 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 everybody has their own peculiar niche here. What we we're really trying to say is get beyond those bias and really get into what are those things that are systemic in nature. So climate change, the IPCC, and really all global scientists are kind of identifying that as a legitimate concern um, that's affecting everybody. Um, we also look at things like actual relevance to investors. So there's a lot of these big issues, but investors really only have a role to play with so many of them. So you want to make sure that as an investor, your capital and your role in capital markets actually can drive some change. We look at effectiveness. So really like, okay, not only is it relevant to investors, but investors can actually do something that is materially impactful or influential on addressing a lot of the fundamental dynamics of an issue. And then ultimately, we talk a lot about uncertainty. So what happens if these risks are left unaddressed? 
Um, and it's that simple thing of, you know, we're no longer talking about like the bald eagle going extinct or a polluted river or things that were kind of some of those things that inspired socially responsible investors just a few decades ago. Now we're really talking about the you know, ice caps are melting and that's going to have major ramifications for every industry, for migration patterns, for real disruption. Um, and so these are those things that we thought at that time, and it's amazing. And I'm sure, you know, you've seen it as well with all the work that you've been doing. Um, just this real acknowledgement now that there are those things that are for sure, you know, portfolio focused, but there really are those things that we've got to um, really stretch to reach to achieve influence at that system level. And you are working with a whole community of asset managers in this process. Uh, as I've come to learn over time, just participating on the calls that uh, TIP does periodically and, and hearing from the various asset management firms that are part of your dialogue in this way. Uh, how have you personally started transitioning into this new leadership role within TIP. Um, and give us some of the particulars around that because you you have a long history of working with one of the, uh, the great innovators in sustainable investing. And now you're in his chair, so to speak. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, no. So it's, you know, when, so for your listeners that uh, maybe don't know us as as well. So Steve Leidenberg, um, who is the founder of TIP and has been, you know, he and I have been co-piloting this thing since the beginning. Um, you know, he is this icon. He's this legend in the field. He has been part of a lot of the really pivotal developments over the last few decades. Um, and when we knew that we were getting close to the point, um, rightfully so, that it was ready to kind of, you know, change into the guard, handing, uh, you know, handing of the reins or passing of the reins. Um, you know, we wanted to be super thoughtful and intentional about it um, just because of our, you know, his unique role in the industry, but also the unique space that TIP has carved out for ourselves. Um, and so when we did it, you know, we, we, we essentially wanted to make sure that two things were true. One was, as we look at the next phase of our work, and you, Paul, you've, you know, you've been uh, with us since the beginning, you know, we started with a lot of the basic naming of this thing, the concept building, the evidence building, starting to think through a lot of these frameworks. Um, and then in the recent, you know, in the last two years or so, we've really doubled down on the practical application of all of this work. And obviously in partnership with you and Jeff Gitterman, a number of others, we've been focusing on that for advisors, but we're really trying to make that pivot for investors and, and the managers that support them. Um, and so we launched this big industry needs assessment about a year ago. Um, and that was really our attempt to kind of say, okay, we published the book. Um, now we want to take the temperature check on all the different segments of the community, of the investment community, broadly defined, and really understand what's their level of awareness of this concept, what's their readiness to adopt, and then ultimately, what are they going to need to facilitate that adoption? All of that not only has it set TIP's substantive direction, but in the process of doing that, we were also building up organizational capacity because, as you know, Steve's shoes are, are, are big ones to fill. And so we wanted to make sure we had the right team. And so everything from reinforcing our director of research, Jessica Ziegler, to bringing on a managing director and Monique Aiken, who's um, you know fairly known in the space as well, um, really just trying to figure out what is the best role and the most effective role for TIP to play 
going forward. And so it's been, you know, we've been thinking about this pretty hard for a couple of years now. Um, and yeah, and we're, we're really thrilled for kind of where we're now positioned to go. Um, and I'm sure, but you know, it's the same with you too, right? I mean, as you start to think, even your ESG playbook, the nature of how you guys are approaching it has also evolved. I mean, just year to year, right? That's and right. Because the field's changing so fast, right? I mean, so we want to keep pace, I'm sure, in the same way that you guys are. Well, the thing that I'm really uh, excited about, Bill, is how your team is evolving um, in many ways, as you said, across expertise and education and that sort of thing. And the thing that I'm most excited about, quite frankly, is that you're all part of Next Gen. You're, you're, you are really positioning yourselves for the long term in this work in a way that I think will continue to influence how people look at sustainable and impact investing over many years to come. And so let's let's take a few minutes and sort of tease out of the, the details of what you've been describing. What systemic changes investors and financial advisors should expect to see in the capital markets during the next couple of years and include any regulatory infrastructure um, uh, perspective that you want to in that? Yeah, yeah. So, so I think that there's going to be a couple of things. And we see this because of the way that certain spheres of influence in the industry are starting to either make the pivot towards embracing a systemic focus and or that just new efforts are emerging that are creating an enabling environment that maybe just didn't exist even a few years ago. Um, we can see that in terms of unprecedented coalitions of investors. You know, as you know, it's like in the financial industry, collaboration and collective action are not things that, you know, it's a highly competitive industry. That's not the norm. Um, but through efforts like Climate Action 100 Plus, which is a big kind of um, uh, group of investors, the biggest investors getting together to systematically target the biggest carbon emitting companies to really use their collective voice to drive bigger changes at these companies. That, that was you know, unprecedented just a few years ago. Um, now you see Nature Action 100 plus and, and other variations that are starting to emerge um, that are tackling different dimensions, either of big environmental issues or even some social issues. And so I think you see that kind of ability to collaborate, I think is gonna just continue. Um, same thing, you know, you, just a few years ago, Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosures, that was unprecedented. Um, and it was unprecedented both from the sense of, we're gonna try to mobilize to create voluntary standards that hopefully governments will embrace and also make maybe mandatory, um, but they really brought in scenario analysis into thinking about how we as a industry really start to combat these issues. That was huge and it's fundamental systems. Now you see the task force on inequality related to financial disclosures. And, and there's another, I'm escaping the name right now, but, but you see more of these starting to get replicated. So I think from a, definitely from a ability to collaborate um, the kind of pressure on both voluntary and mandatory disclosures, um, I think that will continue to occur. Um, we also are seeing a lot of interest around tackling the kind of policy and regulatory enabling environment for all of this. Mm. Most recently here in the US, you see 
the climate-related disclosures being a big focus area of the SEC, which is obviously it's, it's drawn a lot of attention. Um, we anticipate that there's going to be uh, new guidance around um, income inequality and um, related disclosures coming, or human capital management. Um, that's the way that they'll frame it. Um, that should be coming out this summer as well. Uh, and that's matched with, you know, just a few years ago, everybody knew about the Freshfields report, which was like the effort to kind of understand the legal environments uh, for enabling sus sustainable investing. Mm. That was recently updated last year um, in partnership with PRI, and it was funded by Generation Foundation, and Freshfields, the law firm, did it again. And that was huge, and they, they actually widen the lens to really understand not just what the enabling environment is for sustainable investing, but also for those broader systemic considerations. And, you know, the headline news is like, actually, these regulatory frameworks are enabling for this. Um, and so, so I think when you start to see those different points of progress starting to happen, um, it, it changes fundamentally for investors. Their, not only their awareness of this value proposition, but also their ability to do something and really engage more fully. So we'll see more of that, I think, in the coming years. Well, there certainly is a big push from a regulatory perspective in the U.S. now through the SEC's uh, focus on uh, climate reporting. And of course, the thing that's exciting me more than anything else, Bill, about the developments in our industry is to see so many young entrepreneurs who are bringing their ideas to the collaborative effort that you have spoken about because they know they have an audience there, they have support, they have places that they can go and to promote and learn from others. And, and not only that, they know that many of these systems that they can plug into have major players from the public and private markets with a lot of capital to deploy who are looking for them, the entrepreneurs of the future. And I think that's something that there will be more and more of uh, as this collaborative process develops. Uh, I see it going mainstream uh, within the next few years. What do you think? Oh, yeah. I mean, absolutely. So completely echo your sentiment. Um, and I think we can point to a couple of developments. I mean, the, I think the, the one thing that I think is super compelling is just the fact that so you take a group like CFA Institute, which, you know, that's that's where most of the folks in the financial industry get their credentialing. They now have an ESG certificate. And, and that, you know, just a few years ago, yet again, didn't exist. And the fact that that now exists um, and that it will continue to get better, it'll continue to be refined. And that's being matched with, I mean, the fact that you and Jeff have your ESG playbook, uh, Money Management Institute still does the work, you know, their big uh, education program with Morningstar. Um, I know just from our own financial advisor work, you know, we've partnered with Investnet, we've partnered with LPL Financial, we've partnered with a number of big institutions that are really trying to get their hands around education and training for the broader mainstream market um, to really embrace this. And that's just the US, right? I mean, when you scope it out globally, it gets even more compelling. So yeah, I, I think it's, it's, it's super promising and it's super exciting. And I think what's happening is at a grand level, there's just more awareness. There's more embrace of this. You can point to the flow of funds, all of that, right? Um, but I think it's also opening this door, and I think this gets to your point about these 
entrepreneurs that are seeing opportunity here, I think in a way that they didn't before. You know, just a few years ago, I was a fellow um, with the Federal Reserve, and a lot of the work that I was doing was trying to focus on the connection between Main Street and Wall Street mm. and how to make those connections uh, more effective and more full. And I think the broader implication of it was just that, look, there are all of these different communities that are not tapping into the capital markets, but that ultimately, if we're going to have a truly thriving and sustainable community, broad global community that we're going to have shared prosperity and all that, we need to figure out how to tie those groups in. And so these entrepreneurs, whether whether it's, you know, I mean, my, my colleague Monique, she has co-founded something called Make Justice Normal. And it's really focused on these ideas around racial equity and social justice and, and, and driving bigger change around those particular issues, including, but not limited to, making sure that historically excluded communities are now tapping into this, this you know, flow of capital that is in, inherently wanting to embrace things like that. Um, I know as a side hustle for my own thing, I've started something that's a venture capital firm focused on LGBTQ plus founders. Mm. And, you know, when you think about the amount of venture capital money that's out there, it's less than 1% goes to essentially, you know, non-straight white men. Um, and when you start to deepen that and you start to try to understand if venture capital is this like classic mechanism for addressing inequality, how do you make sure that member, the most excluded members, particularly of that community, are able to tap into that. And mm -hmm. that wouldn't have been possible even just a few years ago, I, just partially just because the infrastructure wasn't there and I think the groundswell of awareness. So stepping back, it's like, what is the character of the democracy of the global community that we want to be a part of? And I think I see this, the role of, you know, we don't want to overplay the role of private capital in all of this, but I think we can't underappreciate the real value of it and driving some of this change that maybe even government or other um, stakeholders can't necessarily achieve um, on their own. Yes, and Bill, I believe that the, the financial media has also uh, gotten into the act, so to speak, and is featuring people like you. For example, you've been featured in Barron's, Pensions and Investment, The Guardian, Forbes, The Stanford Social Innovation Review, and The Chronicle of Philanthropy, just to name a few of the publications that your writing has been featured in. Um, and... Uh, you've also been a guest speaker on a regular basis at programs and, and in uh, collaborative efforts across the industry. How do you see now in your current role, being part of your generation, how the old guard leaders of the sustainable investment movement, like Steve, for example, are managing their transition into more of a mentorship role uh, and just as important, how are the new guard leaders like you, Bill Burkhart, of your generation managing your transition into the mainstream? Yeah, well, I mean, Paul, first of all, I'm just trying to keep up with you with all this. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I think you highlight a really interesting dimension. Um, one of the things that I've definitely seen over the last few years, and, I, and I've benefited from it. So I always say, to folks that are just coming out, you know, they're in business school or they're looking for their first jobs. It's in, and this was something I borrowed from a colleague of mine, Megan Kashner, where, you know, she's at Kellogg, she's a professor training a lot of MBA students. And, you know, one of her big comments is always, you know, that first job, 
go somewhere for those first two or three years where you're going to learn. doesn't matter what you're making. It's where you're going to learn. And I had the benefit of that through my career where I have worked with, you know, whether it was Lester Solomon at Johns Hopkins, I was at Venture Philanthropy Partners with Carol Thompson Cole and Mario Marino, um, Impact Economy with Maximilian Martin, uh, did a lot of consulting with Steve Godeke. Um, these are all names that if you've been in this space for a while, you'll recognize and they're highly respected. And they're folks that, I mean, it, it was like having, you know, being in grad school at the same time as, you know, doing work. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that positioned me really well, particularly at a young age to, to do the kind of work that I've been doing. Um, and for sure, you get to that point where, and I know the inclination, particularly with, as folks are now, moving from the kind of margins where, you know, they're maybe the lowest man on the totem pole and they're now, you know, com coming to more of that central guiding role. Um, I think that's exciting. And I think that there is particularly room for fresh thinking um, and just for new uh, innovative ideas. Having said that, I, I can't underscore this enough, having the mentorship, particularly of people like Steve um, and others, I think has been so mission critical to my success um, and understanding the nuance of things, you know, in just the casual conversations that I'll have with Steve, you know, I know I'm a student. So, you know, like, you know, I was a student of the field before I started working in it. I had the benefit of reading all of the great work that had kind of come before me. Um, but there's still even things where it's like, I think of something as new and Steve will rightfully point out like, you know, that's actually been tried. And here's what we <laughs> learned from it when that was tried. Right. Mm. Uh, and, and I think that that perspective is so invaluable. And it's one of those things where if we are going to be particularly as this, you know, it's not just a tip, this leadership transition is happening all over the place. Um, if we, as the folks that are now going to be charged with kind of, taking these ideas and these efforts forward, if we're going to be as effective as possible, you know, the old guard, they can't go far. They, they got to stay pretty close because we need that experience. We need that kind of guidance. And, and then we also need them when, you know, when, when we see something that maybe they don't, that they give us the bandwidth in the room to kind of experiment. Maybe, maybe we don't, you know, we don't end with success, but, but the idea being that I think there's a, a two-way street here. Um, and, and yeah. And so it's like with Steve, I, I, you know, God bless him, but he's, uh, we're not letting him go far. I mean, he's, <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, part of it too, is that, you know, there's a lot of folks that experience, it, it takes time. It's not something that you can just take a year being really smart about something. Um, and that you're just going to be able to crack it. It, it, it's built up over time. And, and I think that that's really important. I mean, I've, I've seen it even with you, Paul, I mean, I know you mentor any number of folks in this industry as well. And, and I think that that's, that's really important. So, you know, you also can't go anywhere. So, so, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, Bill, time is uh, what we don't have any more of today and our, for our conversation, but we'll definitely come back again probably later this year to try and catch up with you. The whole field is moving so fast these days that I'm, I'm finding every six months or so conversations are very different from what they were before. But for now, where online can our advisor and investor audience learn more about what TIP is up to on an ongoing basis? And how can they get in touch with you about the topics that we've discussed in today's program? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, the Classic thing is folks can go to our website. It's tiiproject 
Um, all of our publications are free to the public. They're on there, um, including the financial advisor guide, but also all of our broader work that is geared towards investors and helping them either just get their heads around what we mean by systemic issues and system level investing, um, all the way down to what it looks like when it's applied in the particular context of specific issues or across the kind of functional steps that they take. Um, so we definitely drive people there. Uh, and then I would say the other big thing that tip is slowly but surely rolling out is something called SAIL. So it's Systems Aware Investing Launchpad. We really like the acronym, so we backed into it. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, it's our turnkey solution. It, it took seven years for us to get to the point that we were able to really conceive of it and build it. Um, but it's it's really meant to be this kind of digestible and very practical way for investment teams to get their hands around these issues and really start to integrate this focus across all of the different conventional and more of these kind of innovative leverage techniques um, that we call system level um, across all of those different dimensions, their investment policies, their manager selection, their measurement and evaluation, all those things. Um, so I would, we're partnering with a lot of industry associations on it um, and we're building a kind of beta cohort um, riding alongside a lot of major investors as they think this through and implement. So if folks are interested, any investors that are on this um, that are either part of some of these associations and or just interested in potentially being part of this cohort, um, you know, you can read info at tiiproject.com, um, shoot us a note, and um, we'd be happy to consider folks um, for that program. Great. Well, thanks very much again. William Burkhardt, the CEO at the Investment Integration Project. And to our listeners, please join us again next week for another episode. I'm Paul Ellis, and this is the Sustainable Finance Podcast. Sustainable.